coming up on The Medicine Podcast. He was uh, diagnosed with autism and also Down syndrome. When he came in, constantly stimming, like moving his arms, he would be twirling stuff around and looking at it. He would constantly do that. That's all he did all day. And he was kind of like stuck in that cycle. He didn't communicate. He didn't look at his parents. He didn't interact. I mean, nothing. After the first week intensive, trying to get lasers on different areas of the brain that aren't firing efficiently, we're trying to get as much sensory feedback as we can. We use Vibeplace, we use Resimaxes, which are vibratory tools. We used a Neurosage that gives visual and auditory feedback. We use manual therapies, manual movements. And by the end of the first week, he was looking at mom. He was starting to verbalize. He was starting to play with toys again. He was starting to interact with other people. And that was just in a week. He's starting to, you know, learn again, which is wild. Are these parents just like wrapping you in a bear hug and like kissing your cheeks? Like, <laughs> Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast. You guys know me. It's Mimi. And next to me is this beautiful creature that I get to live with and podcast with and do business with. <laughs> what is going on, everybody? This is Chase. You're probably familiar with me at times trolling Instagram for, you know, the cesspool of influencers that uh, live inside of this thing we call social media. But today is not that day. I am really stoked because one of our favorite follows on Instagram and, and through social media uh, the last few months especially has been this really great guest that we get to have today. Dr. Josh Madsen, welcome to the Medicine Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. I told you this before we pushed record, but I will inform the listeners. I started following you uh, about six months ago, and someone had just reshared a reel of yours. And uh, I think you had just maybe started Instagram, or you were you. you it looked like you had just kind of started out. And uh, you know, I, I check back in a couple months, and it seems like you've just exploded um, with this amazing content that you're putting out, these videos that are helping kids and families. And of course, you can explain your work so much better than I can. But I knew when I saw that first video, I was like, we have to do our best to get this guy on the podcast because I frankly don't see, I haven't seen a, a lot of people, I don't, I can't think of one person that I know of that is doing something similar to you. I'm sure there are people, but it seems like really unique work. And I think it's work that the world needs desperately right now. And so I'm really excited to get into this and share your wisdom and experience and knowledge with our listeners. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, you know, let's see. When you probably started seeing that, we actually, we had a, a patient that he brought his son to us. Um, his son was diagnosed with autism and was having some challenges and and uh, he was a professional videographer. And so he is actually, I didn't even have a TikTok page at that point. He started me a TikTok page the week they were here because he has a, a bunch of followers on TikTok and he got, uh, kind of got that started. So that's why you started seeing all that is because then we eventually, now we hired him and, and you know, he does He's in my office every day. He does videos every day. So that's how we're able to capture a lot of this now. But yeah, that all goes out to Dylan. He uh, he helped us out a ton to get get this information out there and get it out to so people can see it and, and help their own kids. Yeah. Props to Dylan because it's, Dylan. it's super high quality. It's super informative. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. The first question, though, before we jump into Dr. Josh Madsen, do you go by Josh or Joshua? Josh. Yep. Okay. Um 
before we get into your story and your work, the first question that we ask every guest on the medicine is, what do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much that you wish you could gift it to every human? Time with my family. Um, that's my most precious time. Um, in if I could gift time to someone, it'd be time with their family, especially the loved ones. My son, I, I adore the time I get with him. Um, so time, time is my most precious asset, and especially you know, spend that time with my loved ones and you know, in prayer and and you know, with God. And so time. Love it. Yeah, it's the one thing that we're all spending all the time, and we can never like get back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Moment is precious for sure. Cool. Well, let's get into your work. I would love if you could share with us and our listeners just kind of like a brief backstory on how you got into this work and what exactly it is that you do. Yep. So um, my my foundation is in chiropractic. Um, I, I went to chiropractic school for a lot of different reasons. Um, a, a lot of the issues that you see me working with with kids with like learning issues and reading issues, like I was that kid. I had a massive amount of learning issues when I was younger. I had attentional issues. I had reading issues, right, severe reading issues. Um, and I, I tell my patients this every day, if I would have known what I know now, like I would have had a completely different trajectory and school would have been so much easier. And I didn't learn a lot of this stuff until I got into college. And, you know, I went from struggling to get B's and C's to straight A's. And after I learned about primitive reflexes and some nutrition stuff. Um, and so that's what got me interested in it. I had a, a uh, an event, an immune system issue that was actually resolved through chiropractic care. And that's why I went to chiropractic school. And then um, I met a lot of great people there. And one of my best friends, he went to chiropractic school to become a functional neurologist. So he, I didn't even know what it was before then. And so the last part of my schooling, I started studying functional neurology. And at the same time, I was doing uh, chiropractic pediatric uh, courses as well. And then, and then I started learning a mixture of functional neurology and developmental functional neurology and uh, to help kids. So what I do now is functional neurology is basically in simple terms is looking at in developmental functional neurology is looking at how a child's developed neurologically. So there's a, there's what are called primitive reflexes that should develop in the first year of life. And a lot of times they don't go away appropriately on time. Then our balance centers start to develop, our eye tracking centers start to develop, and then our cognitive skills start to develop. So what we do is we we test all those things to see do they still have retained reflexes? Is there we do computerized testing for their balance to see if their balance is where it should be for their age, their eye tracking to see if it is where where it should be for their age. And then if there's deficits there, then we apply rehab strategies based off of current research to help to develop those primitive reflexes, help to develop their balance centers, help to develop their eye tracking centers, which help a ton with cognitive function. And then we give recommendations for if someone needs to do neurofeedback for cognitive skills or maybe special tutoring for cognitive skills, or maybe there's some basic stuff there that we can help with as well. But primarily in our office, we focus on these motor-based aspects and these movement-based aspects that should develop really in the first couple of years of life. And so many kids miss it and that foundation gets missed. That's the primary work that we do. I do a lot of functional medicine work as well for kids, uh, just they kind of go hand in hand. If a kid has a lot of issues from a functional medicine side or isn't producing energy efficiently from a, a functional medicine side, neurologically, they're really hard to retrain and help to redevelop or help to develop in the first place. So what are parents when they're, you know, they're with their children and they're picking up on tendencies and patterns and, you know, behavioral aspects 
that makes them go, I got to get this kid into a functional neurologist. Like what are some of the conditions that manifest in a, in a child? I would say the, the most, let's see, the probably the top things that I work with um, is a l- learning-based issues. Like, for example, a kid can't track their eyes appropriately. I mean, you can do simple stuff like, can you follow my finger? And a lot of times they simply can't even follow their finger and their eyes are skipping all over. Um, or can you balance? Like a lot of kids just can't balance or they still have developmental reflexes. So like a lot of times I'll see learning-based issues, handwriting issues, um, posture issues, kids that are constantly moving because they don't have good motor control. Um, I see a lot of kids with ADHD. I see a lot of kids with autism. See a lot of brain injuries, a lot of traumatic brain injuries, um, cerebral palsy. Those are probably my most common cases that I see on a, on a weekly basis from all over the place. Mm. You mentioned primitive reflexes a few times. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and maybe touch on what would cause these primitive re- uh, reflexes to be retained instead of the child like moving out of them into later developmental stages of life? Yeah. Um, so primitive reflexes are actually my probably my favorite topic of all time because number one, they are the from, in my opinion, from a health based perspective in pediatrics, they are the most important thing that needs to be rehabbed. Um, I mean, every kid I've ever seen that has ADHD, every kid I've ever seen that has autism, every kid I've ever seen that has a learning disability still has retained primitive reflexes. And when we rehab those reflexes, everything improves. Like it's, it's unbelievable. If I could only do one thing, it'd be rehab those reflexes, but what they are. So when we're born, uh, it, we're born with a set of reflexes called primitive reflexes. So if you were to go and stick your finger in a baby's hand, what would actually happen is they would grasp down. It's called a palmer grasp reflex. You put their finger in their hand, they grasp down, grasp down. They start firing all these muscles up. They start activating their higher cortex on the opposite side. Eventually, they do that enough to develop their higher cortex because their higher cortex isn't developed when they're born. Then their brain goes, hey, I know how to use my hand. I don't need this reflex anymore. My brain's developed in those areas. Now we can shut it down or we can suppress it. Same with like rooting reflex where, you know, go to baby goes to feed, they turn, open their mouth and start to suck. Or like there's, if you see an infant laying in bed and their head's turned this way, their arm will be, a lot of them be extended on this side. This side will be flexed. That's an asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. It helps us develop like rolling and crawling on time and appropriate movements. But the the problem is a lot of times these reflexes don't go away on time and then they impair further development and they impair the ability to move appropriately and hit their motor milestones appropriately like army crawling on time crawling on time walking on time and a lot of the systems that develop after that like our balance centers and our eyes these reflexes can't be present for those to efficiently develop so and second part of your question was uh why do they not develop a lot of times um there's a lot of what's the right word? A lot of theories out there. Most often, it, from my opinion, is there's uh, like a lot of times there's injuries during birth, like even just a normal natural birth. There's a lot of twisting, rotation of the head to get the baby out. Baby doesn't have a lot of stability in their upper cervical at that time, so we can get injuries. And if they can't move their head through full ranges of motion, like it, at birth, a child should be able to turn their head all the way to their shoulder and actually a little bit past. Um, without any resistance. And a lot of times kids can't do that. And we have something called uh, the cephalocaudal law, where basically we develop from our head down. So as an infant, you know, laying on their back, they start turning their head and activating their neck muscles. Then eventually their core starts getting activated. Then we start to roll. Then we start to use our hips and shoulders. 
And so we kind of develop down. Well, if you can't move your head, you can't start that development appropriately. And then it delays all these reflexes from developing appropriately. So right. that's kind of like the, the first big reason. Um, you know, concussions, stuff like that can play into it. Uh, and then there's a lot of other like nutritional stuff that could play into it as well. But that it's most often a lot of times it's really related around the birth or maybe they had a big fall or big trauma. Cause like, for example, if you or I were to go get a concussion right now, your primitive reflexes would come back because they're survival reflexes. So any type of brain injury, whether that's a forceful trauma or it's a chemical trauma, uh, you know, or something along those lines, that's going to affect the brain. And mm -hmm. anything that affects the brain isn't going to allow it to develop appropriately. Therefore, you'll still see these reflexes being present. Wow. Yeah, we we have heard many times from one of our mentors, um, Paul Check. he talks about infant development and certain people need to actually go back and develop their infant development, or I guess that's redundant. Yeah. They need to improve on these small movements, infant development. And you see him running through these movements and practices and it looks almost like really silly. It's like, how yeah. is that, how is that going to help this 200 pound, 35 year old man to like be wiggling in this certain way? But <laughs> I, I'm, I see now from a functional neurology standpoint, how those things might be tied together. And it's just so fascinating because you just, I personally haven't heard a lot of people talking about this besides you and Paul Check. Is functional neurology like, is it a, an up and coming branch of, you know, therapy, treatment, science? Like, why, why is, why are, why is no one talking about this? <laughs> yeah. Like what yeah. I want to say. So, in functionality, in, in totality there's not a huge percentage that works with just kids primarily so that's there's a big aspect there but there is some like like dr malilo he's like he's the the, the what's the right word it's not the he's kind of like the the spear tip of it he has came up with a lot of the, the theories around this and done a lot of research and um he's developed a lot of pro awesome programs for providers to learn a lot of this stuff um and there is there is other doctors that are working on that as well, and it's just a different aspect of it. But there is a lot of he's he's written a lot of great books, and so there's in functionalology there's that aspect. But then also in OT now it's starting to become a little bit more common to see occupational therapists that do primitive reflex integration with uh it's called a MNRI Muscatoba Neuro Rehabilitation Integration or something along those lines. They have their own programs for that. So there's some occupational therapists. Uh, my physical therapist, in my office, she just took a, is taking a course right now for uh, PTs. So there, it's starting to get a little bit more well known. And I mean, we've always known that these reflexes are there, but there was always the assumption that they automatically go away, which in most cases they don't. Well, I should say in most cases when kids are struggling, they don't. Interesting. And so the struggles, what do you typically see in a, in a kid's, um, life for instance is this in infancy is this identified as they're beginning to potentially like not be able to engage their core for instance when they're rolling around or does this not necessarily become apparent until they're sitting in a classroom and they're unable to pay attention to you know the teacher talking from the class or stare at a piece of paper and and be able to you know write left to right top to bottom when are, when do these start to actually manifest in something that's observable to a parent or maybe to the degree that it's diagnosed as something like attention deficit disorder. So to the train eye, it's 
obvious very early. And to anyone that's paying attention to motor milestones, extremely obvious. But, you know, there's a big, I don't know the right words, but almost like in, I don't want to say an uproar, but there's with the new CDC recommendations of like, your kid doesn't need to crawl anymore and they don't need to walk till 18 months and those types of things, which anyone that works with kids and looks at neurodevelopment knows that that's not correct. You know, there's this very, there's a pretty specific order that everything should develop. You know, like a kid should army crawl. A lot of kids don't army crawl and they end up having behavioral issues later in life. Um, And like, if you look at every single kid, nearly every single one I've ever seen that comes with behavioral issues, they never army crawled. Um, And then they should, yeah, which is wild. They should army crawl and they should start army crawling right around seven or eight months of life. And they should army crawl, or sorry, uh, cross crawl. They should cross crawl all the way to their first birthday. Then they should walk pretty much right around their first birthday within a month on each side. There's so many kids that walk really early at like nine months. Then parent goes, oh, my kid is, you know, super well developed. They're walking early, which is actually a sign that one of the reflexes called an asymmetrical tonic neck reflex isn't developing. But, and they can't crawl efficiently. So they, they adapt and they learn to walk. Um, or if they walk really late at 16, 18 months, that's a whole different problem in itself. Um, so those motor milestones, they are very, very important. And now it's kind of being like, well, if they didn't hit them. We'll just see what happens versus like, let's say a kid is supposed to walk at 12 months and now they're at 18 months and the provider they're seeing goes, oh, well, they'll get there. Well, now they just missed out on six months of rehab and missed out on a lot of very, very important neurological development sequences that need to happen for all these other systems to develop, like the ability to keep our eyes stable. A lot of kids that have focus issues, they can't keep their eyes stable. They literally can't look at you and keep their eyes on you for longer than a couple seconds. Well, it's because they don't have stability of their eyes. There's a lot of systems that need to develop prior to that for that to happen. And it all starts in that first year. Interesting. I, I'm I'm so fascinated. I have a million questions. So like what I'm curious about right now, and I'm sort of just speaking my thoughts, but let's go back to our ancient ancestors. And were there circumstances in the environment, you know, we're significantly more exposed to nature thousands of years ago, let's say. Um, and there's some level of uh, natural progression through these um, various stages of our own growth and development that the concern for this schedule and this timeline maybe is of less need just due to the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're more vulnerable with nature, more encouraged, you know, there's less interventions from the modern world that we live in now, um, less factors for, you know, potentially changing that schedule of, of very natural development versus today, you know, we're, we're, very disconnected from, you know, natural progressions of nature. We our live bodies. our bodies, you know, we're, we're literally, you know, in front of screens and some of these other, you know, devices and mechanisms from birth. Um, we're exposed to, you know, God awful food, which we talk about often on the show. What, what is the difference and why is this it? Well, I guess question one is, is this some challenge of the modern life and the modern era that we live in or Actually, has this been something more historical? My assumption would be that this is, you know, maybe something based on the the set and setting of what it's like to live in 2023. The environment is crazy important. And it even comes down to prior to conception. Like it's not necessarily just, I mean, yes, the kids are in front of electronics, which is awful for the brain. They're eating food that has no nutrition in it. I mean, like what, 70 years ago, like we didn't have, I mean, you're, 
grandparents didn't have these foods that we have now, right? And now we have all these awful foods and they have, they're depleted of all nutrient value, then, you know, have the, the synthetic vitamins and minerals in them or whatever, but they're not real. Your body can't absorb them and use them appropriately. So we have all these nutritional deficiencies. Your brain needs nutrients to grow. And these are all issues of, these are neuro, if a kid still has primitive reflexes past the point where they should, they have balance issues, eye tracking issues past the point where that should develop. That's known as a neurodevelopmental delay, which is the same thing as autism, ADHD, um, learning disabilities. Those are characterized as neurodevelopmental delays. Well, if the brain isn't developing, there's a reason. It's not getting either enough stimulus. They're not moving enough. They're not outdoors enough. You know, we're not carrying infants around all the time and get them all that stimulus versus now they're in a car seat getting, you know, barely even moving. And they're not getting that sensory feedback they need to develop or the sensory aspects for that brain. They're not getting appropriate nutrients because they're getting formula and they're not getting breast milk and they're, you know, they're not, or they're getting formula rather than breast milk. They're not getting breast milk long enough, which um, has been shown to decrease risk factors of autism dramatically. And also um, it's neuroprotective for the brain, which it's not even... Sorry, word is not, I don't want to say it's not a recommendation. It's always a recommendation, but it's not like, hey, this is really, really, really important. And then, you know, as they get older, now they're exposed to electronics, which completely alter brain development. And they're not getting out, getting and moving enough. Like you don't see kids outside playing and running and jumping and doing all those things. And it's, uh, it, it is our environment. And a lot of the kids come in like, oh, all my friends are on video games. That's where I play with them. And I have to take their video games away. But the cool thing is, is within like three weeks, they actually make friends and now they're in sports and now they're moving and developing their brain. Hey friends, did you know that the amount of muscle you have on your body is directly related to overall health and longevity as you age? Generally, people who have a healthy amount of muscle have lower rates of chronic illness like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and are better equipped to deal with acute illness like the flu. This is why Chase and I support the concept of muscle-centric medicine. To build healthy muscle, we need quality sources of protein. In addition to our quality meat, Chase and I also use protein powder to ensure we are getting enough protein each day. Our two favorite protein powders are the plant-based Organifi protein, which is organic, non-GMO, and glyphosate residue-free, and the animal-based whey protein by Keon, which is non-GMO and comes directly from grass-fed, pasture-raised cows with no antibiotics and virtually lactose-free. We love and use both daily in smoothies, stirred into yogurt, protein pancakes, and even baked goods. Getting adequate amounts of protein helps us feel satiated, build healthy muscle, recover faster, and maintain optimal body composition year-round. To try Organifi's plant-based protein, go to Organifi.com and use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T, for a hefty 20% off. And for Keon Whey Protein, go to GetKeon.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for 10% off. Or just check the show notes below for the direct link. Cheers to muscle-centric medicine. Yeah, our environment now is is the leading cause of of a lot of these issues. Well, and wow. and even like you know, you see these. We don't have children yet, um, so I'm completely speaking from a lane that I don't have any experience in. But you see these like modern toys, and they're incredible. Like these kids are 
absolutely miniature and they're in these slings and they're cruising around the house. But my, from what I know about like primal pattern movements and even the way that I've had to train my own body to be in a gym and under a barbell and, you know, under heavy load is that you have to develop the really micro uh, movements and some of these really critical stabilizing um, aspects of the human body to be able to, you know, carry load, for instance. And I can't help but think even something like these baby like the little bouncy chairs, bouncy you know? chairs where kids are cruising around or, you know, they're, they're wearing like, uh, you know, Air Max Nikes and <laughs> yep. just <laughs> no the, contact to the ground, no activation of their feet, uh, the actual development of the feet and the muscles in the feet, not to mention earthing and some of the benefits we know about grounding. Yeah. It's this lens that I've, you know, after following some of your content and like watching the kids in my life where I'm like, oh my God, yeah, yeah. are they like actually uh, stifling the the potential of the, the development on some of these really critically important, like stabilizing factors of the human body? So my own son, he's, uh, he's coming up on three here. 90 something percent of the time, he doesn't have shoes on. Even going to church, he takes them off. Um, the, uh, in the rest time, he has barefoot shoes on. And it's, kind of funny like every once in a while we'll put him in a pair of shoes like actual shoes his gait is completely different he can't even run it's like he's like flopping around and then you take his shoes off and he's super fast it's w really weird like when you can't feel the ground and you know so that aspect of uh, i'm really big fan of barefoot shoes and that type of stuff yeah um but like how i how i get a kid that isn't walking to walk like i'll have a lot of kids that come in maybe they had brain injury or whatever and you know they have they have gait trainers, they have, you know, all this stuff. They have all these prosthetics on their, or, uh, um, AFOs on their feet and all these things to try to stabilize their feet. The first thing I ever do is have them retrain their core. Like I have them on their, on the ground. Like I don't have them upright because they don't have any of the tone in their core, their hips to be able to stabilize their knees or their ankles. So we go back to what should have developed first. And we work through that normal trajectory and that normal developmental sequence. And we start with the core and we start with getting rid of primitive reflexes first. So they don't have this, these abnormal motor patterns in the way. And then it opens up their shoulders and their hips to move more appropriately. Then we can get some stability there up on their hands and knees and crawling and moving. And then we can go upright against gravity once all these postural and stabilizing muscles are, are more developed. And then they do great. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I've, I've seen quite a few of your, I think probably most of your videos on Instagram and the um, the before and afters of the kids that come to work with you, the intensives that you do, which is, you can speak to this if you like, but it seems like you work in a concentrated like two week time frame with some kids where it's like, hey, we're, we're diving, you know, head first deep into this and we're going to touch on everything and just kind of immerse them in this experience, which seems like, man, I, I don't know of another doctor that works with patients that way. And it, it just seems like seems like in this line of work, like that's how critical is that like intensive work with a child rather than hey, I'll see you once every two weeks for an hour over the course of six months. Or maybe that works just fine. So intensives are like, we probably started doing those a couple of years ago. So before that, I was in more of like a traditional chiropractic type of model. And, you know, it, and we were seeing kids like, you know, maybe two or three times a week for 15 to 30 minutes. And then I started having people from farther away come and I was like, well, I can't do that. So uh, we started doing longer and longer sessions and, you know, two to four hours a day type of thing. And, um, and now it's, I'm almost to the point where I'm like, 
do I even do a 30 minute session anymore? Because the results are so much better when we do a, a week long intensive, like I can get more done in a week than I can get done in three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the patient's schedule can, you can still make significant changes over, you know, a three month period or whatever it may be. But if they can take that time or that week and you can really stimulate the brain and really start to help to develop some of this neuroplasticity, it's wild what changes in a week or two weeks. I mean, obviously see from the videos, but like that's not even half of it. The other half is now that you've started all this development going and going in the right direction, then, you know, the parent emails a month later is like, oh my gosh, all this has changed and this has changed and this has changed because now you've set that foundation they're using their body completely differently. Their balance is completely different. Their eyes moving completely different and more and more and more and more complex movement starts to develop. The more complex your your movement gets developed and coordinated your movement gets, the more coordinated your brain gets. So all these cognitive skills start to change and these behavioral things start to change, but it's just because their brain is is more efficient and has developed more efficiently. Yeah, I have uh, like 20 questions in my mind and we'll keep going here so we can get through them. But is this a hard conversation? Is this a hard conversation to have with parents? Because certainly we just talked about environment and, you know, the kids not buying the food, the kids not, you know, um, I don't know, I I guess the parents have a lot to do with this conversation. And I'm just wondering what, what that conversation looks like with parents. Is it ever hard um, or difficult to explain how important the environment is to support the development of their child? Most of the people that like, I don't take insurance anymore. And when I took insurance, that was a very challenging conversation to have because the patient wasn't invested. They didn't have to pay for it. And I stopped taking insurance like four years ago because I noticed the patients that didn't have insurance got so much better results because they were paying for it. They were invested in it. They were the ones that did the exercise at home because they pay for it. They're the ones that took the, my recommendations of doing dietary changes, getting rid of food sensitivities, giving them these supplements based off of energy, you know, labs we ran for energy production or whatever it may be. They were the ones that did that. And those were the kids that got super good results. So now it, that conversation is, and maybe a lot of times they see my stuff, like they're coming pretty prepared for that. So, I mean, I changed 95% of kids' diets. I you know, I, I do a lot of stuff there and parents in a lot of times parents are coming to me because I'm almost in a way a last resort in a lot of cases and they are willing to try anything to help their kid. And those are the ones that do the best, the ones that are willing to take the recommendations and follow through with it and uh, follow the at home responsibilities. Those kids do awesome. So yeah. let's let's talk about nutrition a little bit. And, yeah. and, yeah. and you know, that's an area that that, you know, we're both passionate about. What is it? What are some of the implementations you are usually recommending from a nutrition standpoint as well as a supplementation point? Depends what a kid comes in with, but like for a lot of stuff, um, I see a lot of kids with autism. I see a lot of kids with um, PANS, PANDAS, which is pediatric. Well, depends which one, but it's an autoimmunity against the brain. And we also know that a very high percentage of kids with autism have autoimmunity against the brain. So I'm doing, I'm taking research and saying, okay, well, this research shows that these nutraceuticals or these dietary implications are beneficial for neuroautoimmunity or neuroinflammation. So that's a lot of times what I'm trying to do is calm down neuroinflammation or brain inflammation, trying to support basic nutrients for mitochondrial function or energy production, uh, trying to support their gut as much as possible. So depending on what labs I run, that a lot of times that'll depend on what nutrients I'm giving them, right? So 
like for example, I'll, I'll typically, a lot of times I'll run a food sensitivity test. Depends on my initial exam will tell me a lot of stuff, but um, a lot of times I'll run a food sensitivity test to make sure they're not eating foods that are constantly triggering gut inflammation, which is going to trigger brain inflammation due to the gut brain axis. And we'll take out foods that they're sensitive to. Most, three most common ones are gluten, dairy, eggs. Um, so though, depending on which one comes back positive, we'll take that out. And also depends on the neurological findings because there's different, there's molecular mimicry with different areas of the brain with different food antigens or different food proteins. So like we know that gluten can cross-react with the cerebellum. So if I do my exam and I find, wow, there's a whole bunch of issues with the cerebellum, like maybe they can't track their eyes, they can't keep their eyes stable when their head moves, they can't coordinate their balance, they can't, like the just can't coordinate well. We may do a trial of, even without running food sensitivity, we may say, hey, let's take gluten out of their diet for two weeks and see what changes neurologically. Or like we know dairy can cross-react with an area of the brain called the basal ganglia, which when that's dysregulated, you might get tics, repetitive movements, anxiety. Um, so depending on what I'm finding in my exam, that may also help me dictate like what foods we start to take out. But most often I'll run a food sensitivity test. And then your brain needs three things to develop. It needs appropriate stimulation, which is what we try to do in the office and with that homework. But then it needs oxygen and it needs ATP. So we look at mitochondria to see how those are functioning with a urinary organic acids test. And we'll look and see how are they producing energy um, and then support that with any supplementation that's needed. So those are my two favorite tests. Yeah. Okay. So you said um, stimulation, the brain needs stimulation. What do you mean by stimulation? What's the best kind? Yeah. So way I say it is they need stimulation in the appropriate developmental sequence. So if they have primitive reflexes, we need to stimulate the appropriate movements for those reflexes. Then after that, we start working on their balance centers because developmentally it's the next system to develop. Then thirdly, our eye tracking centers start to develop. So I'm hitting that stimulation in the appropriate sequence when I'm working, like from a rehab standpoint. Gotcha. Okay. So not stimulation from a phone, right? No, no, definitely not that. No, <laughs> like sensory feedback, big yeah. body movements, um, yeah. activating their muscles. The biggest input in your brain is from the, your muscles and movement and being up against gravity. If you're not up against gravity, sit and watch TV, you're not stimulating your brain and it's degenerating. So the more you can move, the more you can load your system, the more sensory feedback you can get, you know, all those types of things, being by the ocean, grounding, those, you know, that, those are huge f- feedbacks to the brain to help it to function appropriately. That's why everyone feels better after they exercise. Oh, yeah. I'm addicted Absolutely. to it. I'm yeah. Addicted. Love it. Yeah. Not addicted officially anymore, but. Well, it's a good addiction. I intentionally have to take days off now because I'm such a compulsive asshole when it comes to the way that I exercise. <laughs> But those, I get, I get, have this just really loving friendship with it yeah. now. Where when there's been yeah. a day or two off, I'm like, man, I can't wait to exercise and just yeah. nurture this relationship with my body. Yeah, I'm yeah. so curious to hear, like, for for you in your family with your kids, having all of this knowledge and experience working Rare. directly with kids, like, what are you not doing, or what do you not allow your kids to do that other parents do? Um, but based on your knowledge, you know that it's not going to serve them later. And then what do you add in um, that maybe other parents aren't as far as like movement and activities and things like that? Well, first and foremost, my wife is the bomb. She keeps, our son is amazing. And uh, uh, what's the right words? 
my, our son is great because my wife is so good with him and teaches him so many valuable things. So our son, uh, he doesn't eat gluten. He doesn't eat dairy, uh, very little dairy. Um, like we might have butter or something like that, but very little. But he is primarily on a really high fat, low, lower carbohydrate diet. Um, especially currently he's on that because he, he fell really hard and got a concussion, started stuttering randomly. And after about a, a week of getting him on a really low carb diet and a high fat diet and doing some lasers for his cerebellum and stuff like that. We got rid of his stuttering and got re got rid of his primitive reflexes and stuff. But that's a perfect example of when you hit your head, like kid falls really hard and hits their head could bring these reflexes right back out. Right. Um, and that's what happened to him, but we retrained all that. So that from a dietary perspective, that's kind of my go-to is a, not a full ketogenic, but a more like a modified keto paleo type of diet that that's, most often what we'll do with him. Um, he's, he's never had candy. I don't, he doesn't know what it is besides maybe like a, um, a chocolate chip when he goes to the bathroom in the, in the toilet, but (laughs) a little one. Um, but the, like when you start out early like that, they don't know any different. Like he, he loves vegetables. He loves, he'll have fruit. He, I mean, he eats, he eats everything. Like he eats normal adult food. Um, but he doesn't know any different. So it's really easy. And, um, another big thing that I always try to do is if he's breathing through his mouth and make him shut his mouth and breathe through his nose. So he develops his facial structure appropriately and helps develop though. He doesn't have a really long face like me and a poor nasal passage and stuff like that. Um, so I work on training his breathing. Um, I rarely have shoes on him unless it's winter. Uh, and if I do the barefoot shoes and then, Barefoot we, being it, the the brand barefoot, right? Just for our listeners. Oh, I don't care what I. He's actually in Merrell's, like the Merrell like kids. Uh, they're like I think they're technically water shoes, but they have like very little sole, and Got you can it. get them in every size. Um, yeah. So I don't care what brand. Just I prefer for them to be barefoot. So they're activating their shoes as much or their feet as much as possible, mm-hmm. and then um, move as much as humanly possible. We've everything to try to foster normal development in our basement. Like we have a mini trampoline in our basement. We have a bounce house in our basement. We have, you know, all these different climbing structures. So he's constantly, you know, doing, uh, activating his motor system. We have him in gymnastics and he has done all kinds of swimming lessons and infant survival training and all types of stuff because I want him to develop really complex movement and really develop his brain. And, um, so that's kind of our, our go-to and, you know, now we start learning stuff, which is really fun. So what yeah. about like TV and electronics, movies, all of that? Yeah, we might watch like maybe a couple movies uh, a week, um, like a family movie night type of thing. Uh, we try to stay away from it as much as possible, but you know, we also are, you know, like me and my wife, there's, there is times where we have to get stuff done. We need to get the house cleaned or something like that. And he may watch a movie, um, but they're usually he really likes like educational stuff, weirdly enough, like secret secrets of the zoo type of thing. And so it, well, if, if at all possible, we'll play those types of things. Got it. Cool. Yeah. He likes animals. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly just taking mental notes. Obviously, Chase Chase mentioned we don't have a kid, but uh, we intend to be parents. And, you know, I want to have this information from the beginning so that we are stacking the deck in our future child's favor where they know how to move their body, use their body, use their muscles. And from there, it seems like everything else in life is easier when that I think it's zero to seven when you're really learning how to use your body. Um, it's so critical. And and even before we spoke to you, like we've, we've had discussions like this where it's like, no, our kid is going to be moving. They're going to be using their body. And this conversation is just absolutely reinforcing that. Well, it, it just seems as if these are just really low barriers to entry. And a lot of mm-hmm. the that you're speaking of, you know, you don't need to uh, break out the the whiteboard and like build a system and do a bunch of math to get to the formula on how your child can be as vital as possible. It's actually quite uh, basic, you know. It's like movement and bare feet and whole foods and uh, moderation yep. and balance and uh, these things are, are are really low hanging fruit. And I think that's oftentimes we overcome over complexify if that's a word <laughs> uh, what we have to do to be healthy. And it's actually quite simple. And the basics are are uh, always the things that are the starting point. Um, yep. I am curious though, you know, we've been through this era of biohacking in the last decade or so, I would say, especially. And uh, I know that, that, that you have certain therapeutics and interventions that maybe even considered, you know, biohacking to some, but have maybe withstood the, the test of time as it pertains to their, to their fad nature that, that many would think they would be, but something like uh, photobiomodulation um, or light therapies. Uh, what are some of the more uh, progressive, if you will, and I don't mean that politically, advanced. Um, advanced therapies that you are implementing in your practice that some may not be aware of, uh, but but have some really, really uh, supportive qualities to them? So when it comes to adding something new to my practice, number the most important thing, number one, is there has to be a lot of research behind it. And secondly, there can't be any negative context, like ne- negative side effects. That's my two things is lots of research behind it, no side effects. That's always my goal. And then number three is when I incorporate that clinically, does it make a significant difference neurologically? So those are like really, that's my, that's how I decide what I'm going to add to my practice. So I'll, if it's safe, it's effective or shown to be effective in research, I'll implement it into my practice and see, does it make the changes that the research says it does? Um, so I've, implemented many, many, many things. And I've gotten rid of many, many, many things. So uh, my favorite ones is photobiomodulation, um, transcranial low-level light therapy. Um, so either through the head or, you know, depending on where what we're working on, you know, but if it's a brain-based thing through the head, transcranially, um, through the body, trans, you know, transdermally. Um, Just like is, in these light devices inside of the body, whether it be through the nasal cavity or ear, uh, how's that work? Yeah. Yep. So certain ones can penetrate deeper. Um, certain wavelengths can penetrate deeper. Certain frequencies uh, will stimulate different areas of the brain differently. So like we use, we actually use three different types of lasers. Um, we use big or conia, uh, the FX635 and FX405 for certain things. Um, we have handheld conias like green and violet lasers and red lasers, depending on what we're trying to stimulate and what we're trying to do. Uh, then we have also another brand called shed light lasers for, for different things as well. So we have a lot of different types of lasers, depending on what the child's coming in with. And, uh, you know, and some frequencies of light stimulate their brain differently and help 
get rid of reflexes differently or help retrain systems differently. So a lot of times it's, we're trying different things to figure out what their body responds more, most appropriately to. Hey friend, by now I think most of us realize that our earth needs our support more than ever. Sadly, most of the usable soil on earth has been degraded into lifeless dust by conventional farming's overuse of glyphosate and pesticides. This is a big problem for not only us, but even bigger problem for our kids' generation. Chase and I's favorite way to support the earth is by supporting the regenerative farmers who use methods that do not degrade the soil, but build robust, rich, biodiverse soil. Every month we receive our meat subscription box from Wild Pastures that provides a wide variety of meat, chicken, sausage, pork, beef, and even organ meats if we want. These are the best prices we have found on meat that's organic, pasture-raised, and sourced from regenerative farmers. And boxes are completely customizable to fit your family's needs. With Wild Pastures, you're not only supporting your family's health with the highest quality meat, you're also supporting future generations and our earth, our home. Now, Wild Pastures is giving you 20% off your subscription and free shipping for life. Just check the show notes below for our direct link and start building your first box. Enjoy. So I love photobiomodulation. I probably added like three years ago and it has been a game changer for my patients. They've really, really responded well to it. Which is red light therapy, correct? Red light therapy, infrared light therapy, violet, green light therapy. Um, so there's different Okay. Wavelengths and different, you know, color lights there. Um, yeah. And I started out with one laser three years ago and now I have like 15 lasers. So like, it's just, it just shows how, how beneficial it is. And now I'm going to use them every single patient pretty much that comes to the office. I also have a hyperbaric chamber. Um, I'd use EWOT a lot exercise with oxygen. That, that's actually relatively new in the last like four or five months. Um, but it's been awesome for kids that have tics and anxiety and motor, rep, uh, like, uh, abnormal motor responses and repetitive activities. Mm. Um, it's been fantastic for that. What does that do exactly? The, the, is that like a, an oxygen device that they wear and, and perform certain activities through? Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry here. So when you have a tick, like a motor tick, comes from an area of the brain called the basal ganglia. And um, the basal ganglia is really sensitive to a few things, chemical toxicities and hypoxia or lack of oxygen. And uh, so when they have a pulse ox, like we look at their pulse ox, their oxygen saturation is low, that says, oh, well, they're probably not getting enough oxygen. So then that's when we start utilizing a therapy like this is because their oxygen levels are low. Um, and so they, they wear a mask. So you, you fill this massive 900 liter bag up with, with an oxygen concentrator. So it's like 90, 96% oxygen, something like that. Uh, the important aspect is they need to be breathing heavy and producing CO2. Um, so when you produce CO2, the more CO2 you have in your, in your system, the more you can absorb oxygen. So th that's why you're like running on a treadmill, they're bouncing, they're we're having to move a ton, they're breathing through a bag, they're breathing oxygen. Um, so that allows them to produce enough CO2 so that they can absorb the oxygen get it deeper in their cells, help turn those cells from an acidic state into an alkaline state. When they're in an alkaline state, they can hold like 20 times more oxygen than an acidic state or something along those lines. So we're able to oxygenate their system, 
it will hold more oxygen and therefore everything can function better and heal better. Um, it's also known as like anti-inflammatory oxygen therapy. Wow. Mm. So cool. So this is supportive of healing. It's not like parents are getting these, these, uh, oxygen masks and tubes and stuff like that. They have to do it every single day to see benefits, even just in your practice that it, there's benefit. Yeah. It's kind of wild because like when a kid comes in and they have an oxygen issue, when you start stimulating a, a, an area of the brain that's weak, their oxygen saturation drops. Like when they get over fatigued and they get like that system gets overstressed, their oxygen drops, their heart rate shoots up. So that's how you know they've met like a a rate of they're fatiguing out quickly or the brain can't keep up. But it's quite wild when we start using EWOT consistently through their intensive, by the end of the week, they don't need any oxygen support at all, which is cool. And like the first day it might be, we might have to use EWOT three or four times to get their oxygen levels up and, and get them stable. But then by the end of the week, They've stored enough oxygen. Their systems in a in a better, more alkaline state. They can hold more oxygen, and you they don't even need the support anymore, which is really cool. Wow, wow. that's so cool. So, I want to touch back on something. Um, with you said a lot of the patients that you see, um, ADD, ADHD, autism, learning disabilities, um, specifically for we'll start with ADD and ADHD. What is the mainstream or conventional medical model missing from this conversation? And is there hope that they might see the link between these, like the root cause of these issues? I'm just curious about your thoughts on how ADHD and ADD are treated conventionally, which is like not at all. Yeah. Barely. Hasn't, yeah. Hasn't changed much in the last 40 or 50 years, but it, there is kids like I, I can truly say there are kids that do benefit from medication at times. Like, I mean, some kids, I wouldn't even be able to work with them unless they were medicated for a period of time. Right. So like there is definitely a time and a place and, and, uh, really does help certain populations of kids. Um, but what I would push a parent to look at is again, ADHD, autism, they're known as neuro developmental delays. Well, did the provider look at their neurological development? Did they look at all the systems like their primitive reflexes that should have gone away in the first year of life? Are they still there? Well, that's a delay in development. Did they look at their vestibular system and their balance centers? If it's not developed, there's a delay in that development. That's a neurological system. Did they look at their eyes? Can they move their eyes appropriately, track their eyes appropriately, converge and use them together I can't tell you how many kids come in that are diagnosed with attention issues and they have double vision, everything inside of five feet. Like they see double, but they it's been that way their entire life and they don't know any different, you know, it, which is crazy. And you put something in front of, like put a bead in front of them. You see one or two, you see one or two fingers. Oh, two. Like, uh, you know, like how well can you focus if you're seeing double vision all the time? Like those basic things never get ruled out uh, or those developmental things never get ruled out. And so having someone look at that development and then retraining as much as they can and then seeing what's left. That's where I think a, a parent that has a child that's struggling is going to benefit the most. Oh, it just like breaks my heart for these kids that get these labels. And really, you know, it seems like if if they would be, you know, supported in these primitive reflexes and eyes and like moving their body, like how many people have gone their entire life taking medication or thinking that they were maybe 
not so smart because they couldn't pay attention in school. Like it just like breaks my heart to think about these kids and, and, and personally I'll, I'll keep it somewhat private, but I I will just say uh, a family member of mine has been on um, medication since he was, you know, very young, like six, seven years old for ADHD. And I have a feeling that it's, possible that there's some of this going on that has, you know, now he's, he's older and, and still kind of having issues and it just makes me so sad. Like, dang, should we, should I send, <laughs> send this person this episode and check out, you know, these primitive reflexes and see if, if any improvement can be made, you know, retrospectively. Yeah. And then there's, you know, like there's that, the neural rehab side, but then there's like the, the nutrition and metabolic side of like, yeah, uh, you know, a gluten-free, dairy-free diet has been shown to be extremely beneficial for kids that have uh, attention issues. Omega-3 fatty acids, tons of research behind that. Polyphenols, great research behind that. So, like, there's a lot of research out there. I mean, if anyone needs any research on anything I'm talking about, if they go to LimitlessFoundation.co, I have a a link there. There's about 400 research articles over developmental issues that they're more than happy to. You guys, they're they're free. You can have them. Um, and so if they want to read anything I'm talking about, there's, there's a lot there. Um, the, uh, but a lot of those basic things, basic nutrition things are vitally important for kids that have these issues and they're just not looked at and, and the research is there. Like it is, it, I just took a course by Datis Karazian, which was awesome by the way. Um, but it was over developmental issues and, and, uh, you know, he, he said it perfectly. He's like, this is a disorder of the environment. And when you look at the research, it truly is. It's, it's kind of wild. So. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that should be the default when maybe even just the gatekeeping question when it comes to whether, when, when you're seeing a health professional is, Hey, what does your diet and lifestyle look yeah. like? Yeah. I, are I, you moving? Are you eating healthy or are you just eating? At 27, I dunk. had severe fatigue and exhaustion and, and uh, got blood work done and my testosterone was just completely just in the tank. And uh, the the immediate response from my healthcare provider was, well, we better get you on a hormone replacement therapy. I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. I've been an athlete my whole life. I've been vital my whole life. I've got a window of fatigue and exhaustion here. I don't think there's this underlying challenge. Can we resort to some other, you know, holistic solutions? And that was kind of the the key word that got me in trouble. (laughs) Uh, but but it's completely wild, and of course I've I've recovered and and done well and leaned into a, a holistic uh, lifestyle that includes uh, a significant change in diet and and exercise and and et cetera et cetera. But completely blows my mind. Um, you know something that that would be curious to me as a parent, um, as we you know look to start a family relatively soon, would be because because I was a kid who sat in the classroom and I hated school. I did not learn well. I don't remember a damn thing hardly from elementary, even high school. And I sort of turned my brain on in college, but I had to like work around the system. Um, I couldn't sit still and focus for long periods of time. That And, and maybe I had some sort of, uh, you know, development challenge that, but I'm not aware of it. But how does a parent 
go, okay, the, the school system is antiquated and it sucks. And most kids can't sit at a desk for, you know, six to eight hours a day and just memorize and just stare at adults and, and, and be expected to, uh, function much less perform to the degree that we expect them to versus, okay, there's actually something that we need to intervene with as it pertains to therapies or supplementation or getting them into a professional like yourself. Like, how do you differentiate between, damn it, this, the educational system kind of sucks and my kid is activity-based, they need to move their body and they need to have their hands on the project and this system that we've built called education doesn't you know suffice for them versus, okay, we actually need to jump in and get some, some professional intervention. Yeah, it's tough. Um, the, uh, and just, I mean, not moving for eight hours a day. I, I mean, a kid that's like seven years old, they're supposed to be moving like four hours a day. I don't know when they're going to get that in, you know, unless they're like homeschooled or something like that, but the, uh, which is kind of crazy. So there is a, a big aspect of like, when you move, you stimulate your cerebellum, which fires up and stimulates your opposite frontal lobes and your frontal lobes develop. And that's what gives you impulse control. We have something called our frontostriatal pathways that come in and they inhibit our, like our want to move or, you know, our, our want to, um, like have impulsive behaviors and stuff like that. Right. So if you're not moving, you're really not activating your brain, you're not developing your brain. To be honest, I don't like the traditional classroom setting where they're sitting all day, uh, which I don't know that anyone does. So the, the big differentiator is, would be is, and boys are actually, you know, they they want to move more, but big differentiator would be is, well, can all the other peers sit still and this, just this kid can't, you know, is that what's going on? Is the teacher, you know, maybe a little bit more inexperienced and not know how to, you know, redirect and stuff like that. So there can be the, the teacher aspect of like the experience of the teacher, which we do see that, that issue. But what I would do is like if they go on my social media and they check their primitive reflexes and like I'm showing them how to test for an asymmetrical tack neck reflex, a symmetrical tack neck reflex, a startle reflex. If those are there, it's a problem. Like they shouldn't be there at anything past like really eight months. Those neither none of those reflexes should be there. Um, so that's a problem. If that child can't balance, they should be able to stand one foot in front of the other one. It's called a man's test. Um, and like at seven years old, they should be able to stand there with their eyes open for 30 seconds easy. Eyes closed, 15, 20 seconds easy. Um, and if they can't, they probably have a balance issue and their body's co- their their brain is um, they're constantly moving. Their body's their brain is constantly trying to help them to stay stable. Um, so then they're not focused on anything else. Survival from a survival's perspective, you have to be able to be upright against gravity. That's more important than learning what's on the board. So if they don't have good balance, they can't do that. And then just simply see, can they track their eyes? You know, be eight, at least 18 inches from their eyes, have, track side to side, track up and down. Their eyes should be smooth. You shouldn't see any starts, stops, skips. If there's difficulties there, there could be a motor-based issue of why. Um, and then also looking at their dietary perspectives because like those things alone can create attention issues. But I would say compared to their peers, they should be similar to their peers, you know, with a little bit of variation there, right? Well, if they're not even close to their peers and they have all these other things going on, reflexes are there, they have food sensitivities, like there's probably some underlying mechanisms for what's going on. Mm. Um, I, I I truly don't believe like, I, I don't believe kids have uh, like some, well, some kids have poor behaviors and or poor choices, but I don't feel that there's bad kids. I don't feel that there's kids that purposely don't focus or can't focus yeah almost always there is truly an underlying reason for it right. like 
I've seen some of the craziest uh, like behavioral issues and they get so, so much better when we work on helping them to develop a little bit. So there's usually an underlying reason for it. Mm, so maybe like also looking at behavior and are they acting out, not just the the logistics of can you track, but like is your kid acting out in a way that is um, different and um, maybe more um, rebel- not age appropriate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, I, w- might be something to think about. If I don't get nutrient density for prolonged periods of time, I turn into a jerk. If I, <laughs> if I haven't had enough sleep, if I yeah. hadn't haven't been outside in nature, I mean, it shows yeah. up to me as you know a quote unquote mature adult, and I can turn into a completely different version of myself yep. uh, just because I am quite literally like mm-hmm. losing touch with my body and my vitality. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, something you, you said there, we are open books on this podcast, by the way, I'll just give you a fair warning. But when you said that, I thought, yeah, when I'm constipated, I am oh. a different human. And it made me think of your, um, when you were talking about gut support and, and gut health with these kids, like, is that something that you look at at all? Like, are they able to, are their drainage pathways open? That's a nicer way to say it. Like, are you looking at things like drainage pathways as well? The most important thing, like, we could put reflex aside, put development aside, put nutrition aside. Like if they're not pooping, they're not sleeping, they are not going to be well and they're not going to function well. Like those are basic foundational things. If they can't breathe well, like that's another thing. So if they're mouth breathing all the time, like three basic things, get your kid to have their mouth shut when they're sleeping, make sure they're pooping every day and make sure they're getting a good long amount of sleep. And that's going to solve a lot of issues in itself. So, I mean, those are basic, like, you know, physiological things. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't I can't keep my eyes straight if I don't sleep. You know, if I get six hours of sleep, I'm trash the next day. Yeah. You know, so the, I mean, I have zero attention and I can't even, I get double vision like half the day. So the, uh, those basic things are so important, you know. Can you, um elaborate on the why it's so important for kids not to breathe through their mouth oh yeah uh there's some really good books on this there's a um a book called close your mouth a natural treatment for allergies asthma and hay fever um there's one called jaws it's uh talks about the importance of good facial development for overall health and, and like heart function and all that type of stuff but when we breathe through our mouth we breathe off too much co2 we breathe in too much oxygen and you know, a lot of times you're taught in school, like, oh, CO2 is a waste product, no big deal. But we actually need CO2 on our red blood cells to release oxygen to our system. So that's why as CO2 goes up, oxygen saturation in the system goes up. Well, if you're mouth breathing all the time, you actually don't regulate that appropriately. When you breathe through your nose, you regulate your CO2 to oxygen levels appropriately. And what you'll see is like when kids have really large tonsils, their adenoids are huge. A lot of times it's because they're mouth breathing and your body is really, really smart. And it tries to block that big hole so you don't lose so much CO2. So your tonsils get inflamed, your adenoids get inflamed. So that way you don't um, lose as much CO2. And therefore you can actually release oxygen from your red blood cells to your brain and your body. So a lot of kids that have attention issues, like if you, and maybe you've interviewed some of these people, but like uh, dentists that look at airway structure and, and breathing and that type of stuff, they'll tell you when their breathing gets more appropriate, they're breathing through their nose, they're they widen their palate, their attention issues get better, their bedwetting stops, 
but those are hypoxic yeah. issues. They're they're not getting enough oxygen, so mm. their you know their tonsils get smaller. All those types of things. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. My my brother was is a mouth breather still, but but um, tonsils removed. He used to snore like crazy when we were kids uh, and had some some learning issues. Learning issue, bedwetting, yeah. like yeah. And I mean, he's a oh. he's a completely functioning, amazing adult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but when we were kids, yeah, it was like late development on certain certain aspects. Um, that is so fascinating. I mean, and even in my adult life, breathing was one of those things that I just put off for a long period of time as far as like getting interested in. And over mm-hmm. the last couple of years, it's totally changed the game for me. Um, nasal breathing through exercise, nasal breathing through steady state cardio, and obviously yep. there's like nitric oxide supporting benefits yep. to exercise from that facet, but also just regulating my nervous system and being able to put myself into a, you know, rest and digest state after stress through nasal breathing, deep inhales, you know, through the belly and then through the chest last. And it's been a complete like life changing, um, aspect of, of my wellness, uh, Mm -hmm. life by just prioritizing and strategically breathing, through my nose uh, as often as possible. And um, I would imagine that it is like so critical for for child development and building those habits because it, it takes a little while to make them kind of an unconscious behavior and a pattern. But I would imagine that setting that foundation early is, is mm-hmm. life-changing. Well, yeah. And like, if you think about when you breathe through your nose, you, you, breathe, you diaphragmatic breathe, you breathe through your diaphragm and that opens it up. And when you get that full lung expansion, that's when your vagal system gets activated. Your vagus system is your parasympathetic, calms everything down. You can't develop in a fight or flight state. When you breathe through your chest and mouth breathe, you're hyperventilating all the time, which puts you in a fight or flight state. So you can't actually really develop your brain. So the, uh, I mean, yeah, it's crazy important aspect. Um, yeah, so if your kid's snoring and all that type of stuff, their mouth's open, wide open at night, you're going to have issues. I was a mouth breather like my entire life, but I didn't know it till like three years ago and now it's probably more like four or five now, but like I still, I tape my mouth shut every single night. I wear breather strips every single night and it's night and day different. How good do you feel the next day? Yeah, yeah I am a, I'm a dental Correct. hygienist by degree. I don't practice clinically anymore, but um, I, I sleep with mouth tape over my lips every single night and I have been for about a year now and I, I won't go back. But I remember nope. when I was a dental hygienist, I had this patient who was kind of like a, a kooky guy, kind of like a hippie guy. At the time I was, you know, having all sorts of like, oh my God, this guy, he was very nice, but he always had something weird to tell me about that he was doing. And uh, one of those things was he said that he used scotch tape over his lips at night. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah. Okay, guy. Yeah, keep doing it. That's totally fine. But he was way ahead of me of where I was at. And I was I was a, you know, trained dental hygienist. Did you know that Mushy Love Latte contains three to five times more organic mushrooms per serving than almost any other mushroom product out there? How did we do this? Well, we started with the question, how do we get the most mushrooms possible packed into each scoop and still make it delicious? It took us a while, but the result is a whopping one gram of chaga and tremella in a mixture that tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. To support robust immunity, glowing skin and hair, and overall cellular hydration, all organic ingredients, 
no weird fake sweeteners, and our mushroom growers have over 40 years of experience. They are OGs in the mushroom industry. We weren't interested in creating anything but the best for you guys and ourselves. Grab a bag of Cinnamon Swirl Mushy Love Latte at GetMushyLove.com and you can use the discount code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, just for being a valued listener of the podcast. Enjoy. And it's just so funny. We didn't we didn't really focus on that in school. But then once I got into practice and we started um, treating people uh, by aligning their teeth, you know, they had really narrow arches, their whole face would would be, you know, more narrow. And then once we aligned their teeth and widened their arch, and oftentimes when people have braces and things like that, they're not opening their mouth as much. They kind of keep things like closed up a little bit. They're breathing through their nose more. And we would get all sorts of stories back from people that just aligning their teeth made a drastic improvement in so many other areas of their health. And I wasn't putting the puzzle pieces together, but I was like, great, that sounds awesome. Now I can see like now that you know we have more knowledge around like holistic health and how everything is connected it's like yeah no duh okay this 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 patient that i had he was way ahead of me and now i'm following him and i'm taping my mouth shut every night yeah i mean again your brain needs three things to develop and one of those is oxygen so if you are mouth breathing all the time you're not you're not storing enough co2 to release oxygen to your system you're going to be hypoxic and you're not going to have enough you're not going to have the resources for your mitochondria to function appropriately and for your brain to function appropriately. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I got more questions. I am <laughs> looking at each other. We're like, I have a question. <laughs> Go ahead, babe. You mentioned concussions or contact. Yeah. Um, really curious your perspective and advice for parents as it pertains to their children and contact activities, contact sports. What, you know, maybe maybe you're under the uh, the standpoint that you know maybe no football or no you know martial arts or things of that nature. Soccer, um, but but if or even yeah or even soccer, but but for families that that, that is a you know critical part of their life and a component of of childhood. What are your general guidelines for you know both ages, types of contact, and then any sort of protective measures once you know full contact is something uh, that's a part of the child's life? Yeah. Um- I think the most important thing is understanding where they are before the season starts. Um, so like what I do with my patients is I run a computerized eye tracking assessment and a computerized balance assessment because those are typically the two systems that get dis- dysregulated the most when you have a concussion. So I make sh- I see where they are at the beginning of the season. Like can they track appropriately? And it gives them a score. Like it gives them based off their age, just the percentile that they are in for both of those tests. So I know kids in that 85th percentile in all aspects of their balance, they're in the 90th percentile for their eyes, right? So let's say they go get a hit and um, then we rerun those tests. Well, now they're in the 50th percentile for their balance. Now they're in the 40th percentile for their eyes. I know their brain was affected and therefore I also know where they were at or where their pre-injury status is. So we rehab them until they get to that level and I don't care what their symptoms do. I want to know neurologically that they're healthy again before I put them back on the field because or else, let's say they're halfway there, their brain's still inflamed. They go get another hit. Now that's way worse. They're going to have issues six, eight months later, chronic headaches, double vision, behavioral changes, mood changes. And now they have a prime brain that's now primed neural inflammation. Now they go, you know, have, they go eat 
gluten or something like that, and it triggers brain inflammation for them. And now they have all these compounding factors that start happening. So that's my biggest thing is making sure that if they do have a hit, and even it may not even seem like that big of a, a, a deal is making sure that they're still at that pre-season threshold. And if they do have an issue, that they get back up to that level before before they ever go back out. Because one concussion, y- your brain can heal from it. Multiple concussions in a row, really, really hard. And a lot of, lo- I mean, the biggest risk, risk factor for Alzheimer's and dementia is a concussion. So oh, shows you how important it is. Do, yeah. do, you, do you have a uh, age that you would say is too young for contact sports that that maybe one should wait after a certain you know time frame? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, definitely not young kids. I wouldn't want my a seven or eight year old. And I mean, your brain's maturing at such a high rate until when I was a kid. It was like maybe it was like sixth or seventh grade where where you could play full contact football, and it was yeah up until that point, but it might even be earlier now. I'm not sure. Yeah. White. So white, at least from a research standpoint, white matter is developing up to about eight or 10 years. That's a structural aspect of your brain. And then your gray matter is developing till about 18. Um, So like you can have, if you get a brain injury, you can have true structural changes in those, the architecture of the brain at young ages. So like, I mean, I would say for sure, not before 10 um, would be like my, just based off of that, aspect alone, but I don't know that I have a good answer on that, to be honest. It's not my, um, I don't want to see a kid get a brain injury at any age. The younger they are, the worse they, you know, the worse it can be obviously. But, um, so yeah, Yeah. my my kid's going to run cross country for sure. (laughs) I was just going to ask like, what sports encourage your kid to do? (laughs) Yeah. Cross country is great. Running has been shown to increase volume of the brain, increase stem cell activity in the brain. Or neurons, I'll just go with that one. Yeah. There you go. Can I go now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many. We are like competing here. Um, I want to jump back to autism because I think most people listening to this podcast uh, are aware that rates of autism are steadily increasing and rising depending on who you talk to. Some people say, oh, we're just getting better at diagnosing. Um, The majority of people that I know and trust um, say something different. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And you can totally bypass this question if you want to. But I'm curious to hear why do you think rates of autism are, I think the last I saw was like, I want to say like, one in 50, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like one in 50 or one in 80? It's what, one in 30 something boys now, I think. Okay. What's going on? If I remember, if I know, based on what I've seen most recently, but I could be wrong though. Yeah. So why has that number skyrocketed? So I, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm a, I know everything about autism because I don't. Um, there's a lot of people who know way more than I do. And I will give the perspective of what I've learned. Um, and And I will also say research on this is constantly evolving and changing and growing. And, and, you know, so there's what I say today in five years could be 100% wrong, you know, so just take everything with a grain of salt here. But so from a research standpoint, I'll just go with that. The, we know that a lot of the risk factors have to do with autoimmunity of, you know, in the family and 
rate as rates of autoimmunity are going up, rates of autism are going up. As there's, uh, so I, I took this course also. Uh, it was in Dr. Grising's course. He showed me the, showed this chart. It was it was crazy. It kind of blew my mind. It was the rates of glyphosate in the United States and the rates of autism. It literally overlapped. Like it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. So there's probably something to that. Like there's not that many things in research that are like that equivocal. Um, and, and everything, and that was a meta-analysis. That wasn't just one study. That was multiple studies. Um, and then, uh, so autoimmunity is a big issue. Um, overall health of the mother is a big issue. Infections inside the womb um, and fevers is a big issue. Uh, environmental toxins are big issues in relation to this topic. So there's just, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of toxic burden. There's a lot of stress on that infant that wasn't there a long time ago. And, and if the mother has autoimmunity and those, those antibodies can cross react with the brain of the baby, that's going to cause a developmental issue inside the womb. Or if they, you know, the, you know, someone gets sick and the antibodies for that cross react and affect the brain or get exposed to like toxins, which there's studies where like the placenta has like 300 and some toxins in it, which obviously that's not healthy for a developing brain. So our environment plays a lot into this. The water we drink is not clean. The food has pesticides and herbicides and all this stuff on top of it, which we don't necessarily know the long-term effects of that. So there's a lot of environmental stress. And on top of it, there is genetic factors too, five to 10% of um, the population as well. So there's, there's a lot of unknowns, but there's, we know has a lot to do. There's uh, I'm not going to say causation because there's not causation. There's correlation. There's correlation with all these different toxic stressors. Um, so that's really the biggest thing is the environment is a big problem. And I try as hard as I possibly can to make the environment in our home and in the foods that we eat and the the water that we drink to be as clean as possible. And and those things help. And But a lot of it comes down to prior to conception, those are the biggest risk factors is prior to conception and family histories of autoimmunity. So, mm. Mm. yeah, I've never heard it put that way. And maybe this is common knowledge and I'm just in the dark on it, but you mentioned autism is autoimmunity, like neural autoimmunity. I've, I've never heard it put that way. Is that really like common verbiage to use? So those are all from meta-analysis um, that, and meta-analysis, if you don't know what it is, basically it's is trying to be as least biased as possible. It's taking all the research on a topic and filtering it and then, you know, coming up with a whole another research article uh, associated with that, but trying to summarize everything that's been, you know, seen. So uh, what we know is that a lot of kids have autoimmunity that starts inside the womb and that affects how the brain develops. And it causes what's called prime glial cells. It causes the immune system of the brain to get primed towards neural inflammation. So then what happens is right around like the 18 month mark, the infant's immune system starts um, activating. And then what happens at that point is it triggers more neural inflammation because the immune system gets hyperactive or overactive and it triggers a bunch of neural inflammation that dysregulates the brain and it can't develop. At least that's what current research is showing. Again, five years, that could be completely wrong. So but that's what I'm, Yeah, that's the information that I'm seeing. So, well, and I could be... Completely. That's just what I've seen. And there's a ton more research out there that I have never gotten to. And so there may be so many more components that are going on that I just haven't seen that research. So, but that's just kind of where I'm at. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing your experience. And um, yeah, I know it's, it's, you know, the conversation of autism is, I think in some circles, kind of a heated thing. Well, it's, and, it's like politicized, like yeah, everything else yeah. that you try to bring up something that with, with challenge in the world that we live in and it gets funneled into a political conversation, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. And, and loses any sort of productivity with the yeah. uh, intent of the conversation. And, and no, it's, it's, educating and enlightening and and we need to stop arguing and and just actually get intelligent people in a room together yeah. and lay out the facts and and um lean into new ideas and and so much much gratitude to you my friend yeah i, I don't know if i'd be considered one of those intelligent people on that topic there's a <laughs> lot of people out there that are know way more about it than i do and never will so yeah well, I, I would love if you could share if there are a couple testimonials or stories that are on the top of your head, like really meaningful um, patients that you worked with. I'm sure all of them are, are meaningful. But is there are there a couple that stand out to you? Kids that came to you that were very challenged. Maybe walk us through what you did. And then what did <laughs> you see as a result? One of the most, a more recent one has been really fun. Um, we had an intensive come. Uh, he was diagnosed, he was uh, diagnosed autism and also Down syndrome, which is, we have both those together can be really complex. Um, he was, when he came in, constantly stimming. Like he, I mean, he was stimming all day long. Like what that is, was all he did. So like repetitive uh, stimulate, trying to self-stimulate constantly. So moving his arms, he would be twirling stuff around and looking at it and he would constantly do that. That's all he did all day. Um, and he was kind of like stuck in that cycle. He, he didn't communicate. He didn't look at his parents. He didn't interact. He didn't, I mean, nothing. Um, all he did was stem. The, uh, after the first week intensive, uh, Dr. Lauren, one of the other doctors in my office, working with him uh, a lot that week. Um, I mean, when he came in, like it's like you know, wrestling with him almost in a way. And we're trying to get lasers on different areas of the brain that aren't, um, firing efficiently. We're trying to get as much sensory feedback as we can. And um, the first day, and a lot of times with kids that, uh, you know, have really severe issues, it's it's really hard to get good rehab done. And that's why a lot of these kids haven't made progress is because the providers don't make them do the things that need to be done to get their brain to develop. But we put them through this basically a bunch of sensory integration. We use all these tools to do that. We use Vibe Place, we use Resimaxes, which are vibratory tools. We use lasers. We use the Neurosage that gives visual and auditory feedback. We use manual therapies, manual movements. And by the end of the first week, he was looking at mom. He was super calm. He could do almost anything we wanted him to now. He was starting to verbalize. He was starting to play with toys again. He was starting to interact with other people. And that was just in a week. And... um. Yeah, and I actually see him again tomorrow, but he came back. He comes about once a week now for a little bit, and we'll do another intensive because he's from only like three hours away, so he's relatively close. Um, and he is doing fantastic. He's starting to you know learn again, which is wild. And uh, yeah, so that was a pretty fun one. Wow. How old um, is he? He would be like seven, I think. Okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That deserves like a snap, like, holy crap, deep bow of gratitude. Like, that's amazing after a week to see that progress. And like you said, there could have been other providers in the past that maybe they didn't have the patience, maybe they didn't have the tools, maybe they didn't have the time uh, or, you know, you know, the uh, 
I guess, motivation to really stick with that task that you're, that it's hard to, you know, complete with, with yeah. that patient. Um, wow. And that, and that would have, that would have been me like three years ago. I wouldn't have had those tools. I wouldn't had yeah. the, you know, the resources to do that. So like, it's a lot of times it's just having the right tool at the right time. So are these parents just like wrapping you in a bear hug and like kissing your cheeks? Like <laughs> they've got to be so happy. It's a lot of fun. And our team is awesome. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do half the stuff without our team. We have a kid from Peru here this week and I couldn't get him to do anything. But the girls, the our therapists and, and other doctors and stuff, just get him to do like almost anything they wanted to. And like, cause they're way funner than I am. So um, I just kind of give the insight of like, hey, let's get this done today. And they figure out ways to make it happen. They're way more creative than I am. Wow. Any so, other any other stories that come to head come to your head that we have a lot of kids that get like uh, we we have a kid that comes from Wisconsin um, he was here recently um, they, like they get kicked out of school or they um, because of behavioral issues uh, you know they have they're in a, a separate classroom all day because they have such behavioral issues and stuff because they're just in a constant fight or flight state they have a startle reflex that shouldn't be there they have their sympathetic nervousism just on overdrive and. Uh, you know, when you get them calmed down, then they can do stuff like the, we had one here that he did his second intensive recently after the first one. So prior to this, like they couldn't, he was a little bit older, like 13, 14. They couldn't get him to go even go to school. They couldn't get him out of the door. They couldn't like get him to do anything, big behavioral resistance there. And, uh, um, but once we got his system calmed down, he was able to get dressed and go to school and he was doing okay in school. He'd have a couple little like I don't want to say checks against him or whatever, but he'd have, you know, a few different issues. And then um, after the second one, so this has been going on for years, right? After the second one, uh, yeah, we had an email that yesterday, he had his first day where he had a perfect score day. So wow. after two, we two weeks of intensives or probably like eight days. Wow. And so, score day, what does that mean? Like he had no behavioral issues that day at all. He's never had, hasn't had that in years. Wow. Wow. Well, can so, you, um, what's the startle reflex? Uh, it's called a moral reflex. So if you're holding an infant and you kind of drop quickly or someone claps loud around them, they startle and their arms come out and they usually start to cry. Should go away right around three to four months of life. If it doesn't go away, a lot of times it creates like chronic anxiety. It creates, it can play into motion sickness, um, constant fight or flight responses. So like it'd be the same responses. Like let's say you're walking down a hallway and I jump out at you and I startle you, your pupils dilate, your heart rate goes up and you get in a state of fight or flight. Well, when this reflex doesn't go away, if that child moves too quickly, light sound comes into abrasively, they will, which to you or me may not be abrasive at all, but to them, it can startle them, dilate their pupils, put them into a state of fight or flight. And they're just on edge and anxious. Mm, wow. God. So something just like flipping on a light in a dark room or something that can yeah. be enough to like, oh. yeah. or, the, or they move their head too quickly. Like sometimes I'll put a pulse ox on them, watch their pulse rate. And if I move their head like quickly like this back or to the side, their heart rate will skyrocket. Wow. Oh my gosh. God, these, these meat suits that we have are so incredible. They're, yeah. I know it's wild Amazing. information they can give. We get we get so outside of ourselves and obsessed with like, you know, AI and, you know, cyborgs and the where the yeah. world is going with technology. And we're, we're actually sitting in these just amazing astronaut suits. And <laughs> I know. it was my mind. It's so freaking cool. And um, I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing because it's it's 
allowing the body to do what it what it has the ability to do and um removing some of those barriers but but the human body is incredible and human beings are really really special and uh, we get these these physical meat suits to do incredible things with and it it really it's really like my perspective but i really feel it to be true that if we take care of ourselves and our family and we start hyper local and these environments of relationship to self and relationship to the family and relationship to our children um if those can be you know encapsulated in a dynamic of love like we get to actually make this world a better place and and it starts at the grassroots of like children and families and making sure that our physical bodies have the capacity to uh, be balanced and be whole and and put forth life affirming action and love and and it's just so critical and so mm-hmm. i'm just like so fired up by what you're doing man yeah thank you yeah it's been it's huge blessing i mean it's been so fun so rewarding and get to go to every day and just help kids function better and, and be a better version of themselves, the version, you know, God intended them to be. You get to see that come out and it's just a blast. They're, they're awesome kids, it, it, you know, it, inside there. And it just, sometimes it just takes a little help to, to get them to come out. Yeah. So, oh, so good. So if somebody's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to work with Dr. Josh Madsen. Do you, do you see people remotely? Is it only in person? How do people work with you? Uh, we do both. I prefer in person. Like if someone has the resources to get get to Iowa and stay here for a week or two, we can make significant changes a lot faster. Um, we can do some awesome things online too. I'm um, I have some courses online uh, as well, but I, I do work with patients one on one online. Um, I have uh, if you go to limitlessfoundation.co, I have like a, a, a reflex integration course. Like it's a good place to start. If there's like doctors listening or stuff like that, I'm going to put out, a, I'm hoping to train more doctors to help, you know, so there's more doctors out there. So I'm putting out a course, I think it's December like 18th or something like that. Um, I'm working on putting together right now for helping to train some doctors on how to start integrating some developmental care into their practice and um, how to run a, a business around that. And so hopefully I can get some more doctors that can help more kids. So, yeah. 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 Awesome. yeah. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes, you guys. So check there. Um, anything else that we missed? I'm, I'm just like, we could talk to you for like three more hours because it's so fascinating. Is there anything that we missed that you're like, ah, I got to say this, I got to touch on this. We didn't talk about that. Oh man. Um, there's, there's always more to talk about, but uh, yeah, maybe I, we should just, maybe we should just get you back on to, to, as a, as a, you know, a second episode or whatever, but yeah, if there's something that we missed, let us know. We'll do. Yeah. We can always do that. That's, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. O- open invite. Anytime you feel compelled or called for yeah. something you're working on. Uh, awesome. The medicine. We'd love to have you back. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Check the show notes for all the corresponding links. And if any of this resonated with you, definitely check out their website, um, call their team, see if you can work with them. And if this episode inspired you in any way and resonated with you, share it to your story, share it to your, share, share it with a friend. Um, you know, this is how we get good information out is by the people that we love. So we appreciate you. We love you. Go spread some light. Okay. Bye. Hey friend. Thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, 
touched your soul or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.